Hi everyone, I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Deb Flaschenberg. I'm your host of Yoga Birth Babies. And in today's podcast, we talk about looking at postpartum, planning for postpartum, understanding the hormonal changes of postpartum, setting yourself up for support. We also talk about PMADS, perinatal mood and anxiety disorder, and how sometimes we don't even realize we are in the murk of this. So to have this conversation, I am talking to Dr. Jane Shomoff. She is a licensed psychotherapist, perinatal mental health specialist, substance abuse and addiction specialist, and a doctor of clinical psychology. She's got some amazing info. And oh, I forgot to mention... She also has an amazing company called Moms in Bloom. So she gives some really wonderful foundation and information about how to recognize when you need help and really deciphering that for a while. All we thought about about postpartum was that depression and that anxiety was normal, but sometimes we cross over that line of when we need support and she talks about how to recognize that. She talks about a lot about postpartum planning. It's a really wonderful conversation that I think is important to put the time and consideration of understanding the landscape of postpartum. So I think you're going to get a lot out of this conversation. Before we get to this chat, I would just want to remind you guys that we have a cheat sheet for when your body's not feeling so hot. Maybe you have some aches or pains or whatever is going on postpartum or during pregnancy, and you can't make it to a full class. Well, if you had to our website, prenatalyogacenter.com, you can grab the five simple solutions to the most common pregnancy pains. Now, while I call it pregnancy pains, these same things can apply to postpartum because let's face it, the postpartum body is a work in progress of a lot of healing needs to happen. You're now holding your baby, feeding your baby, a lot of strain on the body, and we want to we want to take care of you. You deserve some support and some love and tender support. So check that out from our website. Also a reminder that we're going to continue to have our classes online and in the studio, not just our yoga classes, but many of our workshops are online and in the studio. And we've recently been partnering with Boober, where they're offering our childbirth education class, our newborn care, our lactation prep, so many of these great classes. We also have a comforting touch class. So, so much that can help prep you and support you from pregnancy to postpartum and everything in between. And then last thing, I just want to shout out a reminder that we are going to do our winter teacher training online. That will be the January and February training online. And then fingers crossed, we are back in person. I cannot wait in New York City for March and April teacher training. So if you are a yoga teacher and you just want to dive into that field and support the pregnant postpartum person, know how to really empower your students to take ownership of their pregnancy and not be afraid of what poses should I should I not do and approach it from an understanding of the anatomical and physiological changes and how to help your students 
have a more efficient functional birth, check all this out on our website, prenatalyogacenter.com. I could go on and on and on about teacher training because my goal is to support as many teachers out there, to support as many students out there that their birth feels empowering emotionally as well as their bodies are balanced so that they can have a more efficient and functional birth. No one has ever said, hey, I want that really long, arduous birth. No one. No one has ever said that. So I want to help our students have a more functional birth. All right. That's enough of me. Let's take a super quick break and when we come back. Please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Jane. Hi, Dr. Jane. How are you? Hi, I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Thank you so much for giving me some time. I heard you on a different podcast and I really resonated with what you were talking about. So I'm excited that we're going to have a chance to chat. I'm excited. I'm always ready to chat. So I'm excited (laughs) to chat with you and, and, you know, talk about some fun things. All right. Wonderful. So I'd love to hear a little bit about you and what led you to focus on supporting new parents. Sure. Um, I mean, if somebody would have told me in the beginning of my career that this is what I would be focusing on, I would have laughed at them because I did not predict this. This kind of came to me naturally. I actually started my career uh, working with addiction, and I still do. That's still a big part of what I do. But I'm also a mom of three. And I remember when I had my first child, I thought I was totally ready. I did all the things. I took all the classes. I did everything I was supposed to do. And then I had a baby and I had to go home with him and take care of him. And I suddenly had no clue what to do. I was really not ready, not prepared, had no idea what was going on. Uh, And at that time, which was about 10 years ago, there was only one postpartum diagnosis, which was postpartum depression. And I definitely didn't have that, but I definitely had things going on. And so fast forward to having my third child Um, which was about four years ago, and realizing that not much had changed. There was still not really any support. Your primary or OBGYN says, okay, see you in four to six weeks, depending on uh, how you birthed your baby. And you're kind of left to your own devices. And I realized that I, I needed to help create the change. I needed to help bridge that gap because Women are going to continue to have babies. We're going to continue to become first-time moms, second-time moms, and we're going to continue to need support. And so that's how I, I kind of got into the field. So really interesting. And actually, I appreciate um, just your honesty about not the baby came home and you're like, and now what do I do? Um, knowing that you were already a therapist, how did that color your experience of your parenthood. I guess what I'm trying to say is like when I had my first baby, I had already been in the birth world for about 10 years and I thought it was going to be easy. I thought this baby would like march out. I'm like, this is what I do. So I was quite unexpected that it was a really challenging birth. Do you feel like having been in the fields of the perinatal, the mental health specialist, it took you a bit by surprise about how challenging the experience might've been or how your knowledge played into your experience. So I became a perinatal mental health specialist, um, after all these children. Okay. So I was by no means 
uh, I was a mental health specialist. I, you know, I was a, I had degrees in clinical psychology. I, you know, thought I was really ready for parenthood. I didn't even know that you could specialize in perinatal mental health. That wasn't a thing. And so to your point, I thought I had it in the bag. I did everything I needed to do. I'm I'm in the field. I'm going to know what's going on. I'm going to manage my mental health. I'm going to take care of my baby. It's going to be fine. I have all the stuff. I have the crib ready, the clothes ready. I'm ready to go. I did the classes, everything. And just like you, I was really taken aback by how challenging the transition into new motherhood was for me. And I believe is for many, many women. And especially I think if you're in the field, uh, so you, you know, you've been in the birthing field, I've been in the mental health field. So we thought it's going to be fine. And so I felt like I had the tools that I needed to get through it, but I still absolutely suffered with some major postpartum mood stuff. And you know, I had to get to a point where I realized that there was really something going on. I needed to, to take care of myself and address it and not deny it and not try to control it. Cause I had a really big issue with controlling everything when I first had the baby, because I felt so out of control. And I think we as women really like to be in control. It makes us feel safe. And so when we have a baby for the first time or even the second time, um, or more, we all the puzzle pieces kind of go up in the air and we're not sure where they're going to land. And that anxiety of not having things in order and not knowing what to expect really is the breeding ground for mood disorders. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit more about your own experience about, I guess, how did it differ from baby one, two, and three? Yeah, I'd love to. It was all really different. And again, you know, this is not something that I could have predicted, but it was, it's been a really interesting journey. So with the first baby, my child was actually super easy. He was a very easy baby. He did all the right things, eat, sleep, pee, poop, was a great sleeper, was sleeping through the night really early on. It was me. I had never taken care of a baby before. I'd never even changed a diaper. His diaper was the first diaper I had ever changed. And so I just was learning everything and as much, and I was really enjoying him and I was really connected to him, but I was riddled with anxiety because I just didn't know if I was doing things right or, you know, what's the right way to do this? Or it was just so much confusion and stress and making sure that I was doing everything right. I was, I've always been a bit of a perfectionist and I think it really came out in my motherhood journey, especially with my first child. With my second child, I wasn't, and and I find this to be true for, for many second time parents, we no longer have that fear of like, how am I going to change the diapers? How, like all the kind of taking, like taking care of things, right? The clothes, the baths, the how to carry them right, how to swaddle, like all that stuff is no longer so anxiety provoking. Now it becomes the juggle of managing um, your time and dividing yourself up between more than one child when you've given your all to this one child. And now suddenly there's two of them and they're on different schedules and, you know, doing different things on different developmental levels. And now you're having to 
figure out how to mom both of them. And so as a second time mom, I had a lot of guilt for not spending time with my first. And my second child also demanded a lot more attention. She wasn't such an easy breezy baby. She knew what she wanted, couldn't articulate what she wanted. And so there was a lot of crying (laughs) and a lot of me telling myself, this is temporary. The sun will come out tomorrow. She will eventually fall asleep. That literally became my mantra throughout the first year of her life. And so I was saying, I was joking that with my first, I'm like, it's not him. It's me with my second. I'm like, it's not me. It's her. (laughs) Um, but with my third, by the time I was pregnant with my third, I already had had a boy and a girl. And I had said to myself, you know, my husband and I decided not to find out. We were going to be surprised with whether uh, we were going to have a boy or a girl. And kind of along that vein, I felt like I felt this real deep resolve that whether this baby is going to be more challenging or whether this baby is going to be easier, or whether this baby is going to be a boy or a girl or whatever it is. It's going to be fine because I realize as a parent that everything is temporary. There, there's no, there's no static state. Um, we're always learning, growing, and changing and adapting. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really huge piece is that we learn and grow right alongside our babies. And just as they change and meet different milestones, so do we. Mm-hmm. And so I really felt with my third that I was finally able to enjoy that um, early like newborn phase and that first year of her life and 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 everything that came along with it. It was actually also the first time that breastfeeding clicked because with the first two, I kept getting mastitis Oof. really early on. And then for some reason with my body, it seemed like once I had gotten the mastitis and even if I would take antibiotics, they wouldn't go, it wouldn't go away. It would just keep coming back. So somehow also with the third breastfeeding also clicked. She was able to have breast milk for a year. And that's not something I would have predicted as well. That was like a really long drawn out answer to your question. Yeah, but, but I appreciate it. I like seeing that the progression and how things changed. Can I circle back to some of your experience after your first baby where you're talking about anxiety? And I think it was about 10 years ago and you mentioned you had your first. I feel like at that point, as you mentioned, we only heard of postpartum depression. We didn't have the whole category of PMADS, perinatal mood and anxiety disorder. Can you talk a little bit more about the anxiety portion that I think a lot of parents experience, but they may not know that's part of that umbrella, that that could be a mood disorder. They might just think, I have a new baby. Of course I'm anxious. We talk a little bit about postpartum, postpartum anxiety versus depression, as well as, um, postpartum OCD. I had a friend that had that and it was, it was really obvious, but she had no idea. She was very lost in the routine and the obsession, the, it was a little obsessive. Well, yeah, that's what OCD is, right? Yeah. It's obsessive compulsive disorder. Yeah. So yeah, I can speak to all of that. And so back, as, as I mentioned, yeah, it was 10 years ago when I had my first. And so back then it was just postpartum depression, which I didn't have. And I think to this day, a lot of women think it's just that They're like, well, I'm not, I don't have postpartum depression. But the anxiety piece, I think, is what hits most women in the transition into postpartum. And 
there's a big difference between having postpartum anxiety and having postpartum anxiety disorder. And the biggest difference is if it's really impacting your life in a negative way, because we all have anxiety here and there and any change, no matter how positive the change is, is going to breed some anxiety because any transition comes with its own challenges. When it becomes an anxiety disorder is when it kind of feels like it's taking over your life. Like you're, you're constantly in a state of anxiety. You're constantly doing things to try to mitigate your anxiety, which is where the OCD component comes in. I often feel like they go kind of hand in hand. Like the deeper your anxiety goes, the more common it is to also develop OCD like tendencies or obsessive compulsive tendencies. And the reason for that is if you think about the mechanisms of obsessive compulsive disorder, they're, they're all based on control and, um, and fear. So if I, and in order to mitigate the anxiety that comes with, um, that comes with like the obsessive thoughts, you have to do an action and that's the compulsion, right? So I'll give an, uh, I'll give a personal example actually. So with my first, I, I did have a lot of anxiety and obsessive compulsive tendencies. And so for me, I had a fear of, I had a really deep fear of my child getting sick. He was born in um, the fall when it was flu season. And I was so scared of him getting sick because, it, again, it would be it would add another factor into this already really challenging time that I didn't know how I would work through. And so everything was centered around sanitizing and cleaning and making sure that nobody who's touching my kid is has dirty hands or can be sick or all of that. So that was my fear. And to mitigate the fear, I would do, I would have him on like a really, you know, tight schedule, not tight schedule, but really kind of like strict schedule that I would follow diligently. He would, I would, when he had his bottle, I would really make sure he would finish the bottle to the last drop because somehow if that last drop wasn't also ingested, then he's not going to sleep as well, which clearly is not based on logic. But again, it's that kind of you have the obsessive thought you have the anxiety associated and then you you do the compulsion to mitigate the anxiety mm-hmm. right and if you think about it you know as i mentioned before women often like to have things in order like to be in control and so and having a baby throws that off completely so now we're left to figure out how to feel okay in this out of control environment Right. Mm-hmm. And so recognizing kind of, okay, I have some anxiety, but is my anxiety normal or is my anxiety to overtaking me and my, and my life? Right. How is someone to know if it's uh, just to kind of answer your question, if I was a new parent and I was having anxiety, how does one start to think, is it overtaking my life or I'm just anxious because a new baby said it totally throws everything off. So there is anxiety. Am I doing this right? Is this okay? So what are some signs that someone has moved beyond normal and may need intervention or support beyond what they're capable of getting maybe from their partner? Again, I think it really comes down to 
how often you're feeling anxious and at what times you're feeling anxious. Okay. So if you're not sleeping because you're so anxious, not just because the baby's waking up, but because you're so anxious. If you're not eating because you're so anxious, if you're feeling like if you're waking up with anxiety, going to sleep with anxiety, if you're finding that your constant state of being is riddled with anxiety, then that is, that is not as normal, right? There needs to be breaks in between where you're calm, where you're enjoying, when you're laughing, when you're, you know, us as human beings, we have such a wide range of emotions that we're feeling all throughout the day. And there needs to be that range, right? As you know, even when somebody's in grief, they can be crying one moment and laughing the next. Mm-hmm. And so it's the same way in transition. When we're in transition into motherhood and we've just gone through this birth and our bodies are healing and our minds are trying to figure out how to cope with this, there's still those fluctuations in emotion. So if you're finding that your constant state of being is is anxiety-ridden, then that is a huge indicator. And, And also, you know... We're expected often in our society or we believe that we're expected to just be so happy and we're in bliss and we're in matching outfits and we're taking stylized photos and posting them on Instagram of like how incredible this early newborn phase is. But when our reality doesn't quite match up to those expectations, you know, we can often often feel like we're doing something wrong, Mm -hmm. which can also breed anxiety. So it doesn't come from nowhere, usually. It comes from from somewhere. Whether it's society-driven or internally driven, it's definitely coming from somewhere. And I think the biggest indicator is just how often you're feeling it and whether or not you feel like it's overtaking your life. Because moments of anxiety are totally normal. Even having an anxious day is totally normal. But when it's most days and it's mostly anxious as your mood, then you might need a little bit extra support. And sometimes, you know, I I really want to emphasize that having support for this period is not necessarily, oh, you're going to be in long-term therapy for years. Because I think that's, that's the fear that a lot of people have. I find that working with the moms that I do, that sometimes they just need a couple of sessions to kind of normalize their feelings and help them kind of plan out and figure out what it is they need and want and how they can get there. And just having those few sessions, a couple check-ins, they already feel so much more in control and more confident to be able to take on this journey. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take a quick break. When we come back, I would love to start to dip into how you work with your clients about postpartum planning and what that looks like. So we're going to take a quick break and we come back. Let's talk postpartum planning. We'll be right back. So having, since you had some of your own challenges, how do you think that has influenced how you work with clients? Does that, is that something that has inspired you to do more postpartum planning? And if so, what does that look like for somebody? How would you work with clients heading into postpartum and those also dealing with postartum anxiety, depression, or OCD? A lot, a lot of little questions within that one a question. Lot. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so keep me on track if you feel like I'm veering off. Okay. I have a tendency to do sometimes, but uh, but those are all really great 
questions. Um, and talking about postpartum planning, this is something that I am incredibly passionate about. So as you know, we focus a lot in our society on the birth. Mm-hmm. And obviously the birth is super important. Don't get me wrong. But we create like a, a birth plan. And I had the most elaborate birth plan. I was like Oprah with my birth plan at the hospital. I had like several copies. I'm like handing them off to anybody who's making eye contact with me. I'm, you know, super gung-ho excited about my birth plan, my birthing ball. My husband decided that he's my doula and we took classes. We did all the things. And I find that a birth plan is really great. Um, but to also not get so stuck in in the details of the birth plan because that can often set up a woman for feeling like they've already failed. If, if they're really connected to their birth plan and the birth doesn't go according to plan, which it usually does, you know, it, it almost never, never does. Yeah. Right. Because the reality is there's, this is the kind of the first lesson in parenthood is that you're not as in control as you'd like to think. Right. Mm -hmm. And you have to let go and accept and just kind of go with the flow of what your body is telling you, what, you know, um, your doula or the professional that's helping you is, is telling you and what you're, what, and kind of work as a team with yourself and your baby and your baby. Yes. And absolutely what your baby's telling you. And, you know, you may have an emergency C-section. You may just need to have a C-section because you're, uh, you know, the baby's not coming down. Or I had one of my best friends, her, just her canal was like too thin and the baby was too big. And there, and the doctor was like, there's no way this, this gigantic baby is going to come down. It's not going to happen. So that obviously wasn't her plan, but she ended up having a C-section uh, I ended up pushing for two and a half hours, definitely not part of my birth plan with no epidural. Um, so I'm, I'm digressing. It's okay. But, I, love, I love talking about birth. It's okay. Yeah. It's just, you know, anything can happen, but I think that as long as your plan is to have a baby and emerge from the birth with a healthy mom, healthy baby, your job is done. Right, that is the ultimate goal. Now we talk about postpartum. Uh, can planning, I interject a little? So can I interject just a little bit? I yes. I do want to um, something that I I'm pretty passionate about is healthy mom, healthy baby. But the health of the mom can't, in my opinion, just look on the outside. Healthy mom or healthy parent, because you know all different people can give birth. Um, emotionally how they were respected during birth, because I do have a lot of students and you probably have this with clients can come in and say, you know, the birth went well, the baby's okay, but I didn't feel respected or I didn't feel supported or I felt traumatized by the birth. So I just, I feel strongly. I just want to interject that sometimes it doesn't, it may look like the parent is healthy, but emotionally they may have really been traumatized by the birth experience, which you probably see, um, in some of your Absolutely. clients, I'm guessing. Oh yeah, Absolutely. And that's uh, totally true. And again, because we don't know exactly how the birth is going to go. Um, often we deal, we, we work on that after, right. But that's absolutely important when you're working with someone postpartum 
you know, to go through a birth story is always part of the process. Right. Right. And, and processing the birth. Um, but to go back to the postpartum planning piece, mm-hmm. you know, my big, my big mission for Bloom, my company is to help prevent the incidence of, of PMATs, of postpartum mood and anxiety disorders through, uh, early intervention and, and prevention and education. And I firmly believe that if more, more people know what to potentially expect in their postpartum period, then less postpartum mood disorders would exist mm. because often we we go through the process, we see our, our doulas or our specialists or our midwives throughout the pregnancy, and then, you know, we have the baby and then we're kind of like left to figure it out. There are a lot of doulas now that are coming and helping postpartum, which is absolutely incredible. But overall, in our society, that's not happening. They're like, okay, see you in four to six weeks, right? And it's that four to six-week period where it's really a breeding ground for mood disorders. But I like to think about it as if, let's say you go to your doctor because you're, you have like an ear infection or a bladder infection or something, and your doctor's like, okay, I'm going to prescribe you this antibiotic. Now, when you're taking the antibiotic, there may be some side effects, if you experience stomach cramping, if you have difficulty sleeping, if you, you know, um, have a stronger appetite, those are all normal. Don't worry about them. They're just part of taking this antibiotic. So what if along that same vein, somebody would go through the process with you, and this is where postpartum planning comes in, and says, like, okay, so you're about to have this baby. So let's go into possible things that you can expect that are normal, but you may feel in your postpartum journey, talking about emotions, talking about physically. And so we're expecting to feel only happy emotions. We're expecting to feel so much bonding and joy and this and that. Breastfeeding is supposed to go swimmingly and easily and come naturally. And so when we're, when we have those expectations and then the reality hits that it's not that way, that can be really challenging. And again, that can, that can be the seed that's planted for a postpartum mood disorder. But if you know that you may experience, you probably will experience some sort of, uh, sad feelings, depression, grieving your past life, having scary thoughts, like walking up the stairs and having a scary thought that you might drop your baby. That's normal. That's you protecting your baby and holding your baby tighter as you're walking up the stairs. That's actually like an evolutionary, mama bear instinct. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you know that these types of thoughts and feelings exist postpartum, but are still completely within normal range, rather than add fuel to the fire, you're going to put the fire out because you're going to be like, Oh, I know this is normal. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. This makes so a lot of sense. Postpartum. Yeah, because I feel yeah. like when we hear about postpartum planning, a lot of it is, okay, I'm going to take a lactation prep class. I'm going to take my newborn care. So I do know how to swaddle and put their clothes on and bathe them and, you know, all that stuff. But the education, just as we do a lot of childbirth education of these are your choices and these are your values and this is the landscape of birth and interventions, then looking at the landscape and education of postpartum, these are some of the feelings you may have. Here's some of the things that a lot of people feel, that lack of control, that 
missing their former life, the fear of like, am I going to drop my baby? All these things we're taught are normal so that we don't have to question ourselves of like, is this normal? So if we have, so if I'm understanding it correctly, if we have that education, it can take some of the pressure off guessing if we're normal and then maybe give us the information of, Oh, I didn't hear about this obsession to check the baby every hour or getting every drop out of the bottle that I didn't hear about that. So maybe I should check in with my care provider or my midwife or my doula and see, Maybe I need some help. Is that is that how I'm understanding it? Because it sounds like a good idea. Yeah, it's it's just basically it's postpartum we, education. We, we have, yeah, and when we have a negative, so postpartum education. Um, I love that you mentioned that because it's when we think about it, we think of like how to take care of the baby, right? Right. But the postpartum education that I think is even more important is how to take care of yourself. Because you're not going to be able to take care of the baby if you're not doing well. And when we're pregnant, we're doing everything to nurture ourselves and nurture our bodies because we're growing this baby. And suddenly when we're not pregnant anymore, we become last place, last priority. Suddenly we're not nurturing our body and taking care of our body because the baby's out. And now all of our focus is on the baby. Right. And so how, how could that not lead to negative thoughts and feelings? And different moods. And also we have so many hormonal things going on that also triggers us to be more, have more heightened emotions. And so when we're, when we're planning for postpartum, I really like my, my, myself and my specialists, we really focus on the emotional component because that's what really drives a lot of, you know, these mood disorders and so if the emotional component is discussed and we understand what's normal, what's within normal range, and I actually have a postpartum planning guide on my website that's absolutely free to download um, that kind of goes into all of that. And it has like a worksheet component as well where you can indicate there, you know, certain ways that your partner or anybody that's able to help you can help um, as well as different feelings and, and thoughts and all that good stuff that you may experience postpartum. Is there a time frame to keep in mind for PMATs? Like where is there where does it get fuzzy of I just had my baby, my hormones are all over the place, that estrogen crashes and the thyroid can be kind of out of whack and people can have that. I'm just trying to get my feet on the ground. Where does it then cross over to my hormones should be rebalancing? or they're not, and I'm still having all this anxiety and or depression or OCD. Is there, is there a kind of a definitive timeline or not really? There is. And initially, uh, I, I'm sure you've heard of the baby blues, mm-hmm. right? So the baby blues is kind of like a precursor, um, you know, traditionally it's been a precursor to, um, postpartum depression, but I think it's a precursor to any, any of these postpartum mood disorders. But it's more like focuses more on depression, but the baby blues is kind of that transitionary time where your hormones are out of whack. Everything is kind of up in the air and you're kind of figuring out how to get your feet on the ground. Right. That's like what the first six weeks, first 12 weeks. Yeah. I, I I believe it's the first six weeks. Okay. Don't quote me. But I believe it's the first six weeks or so. But I think it can last like a good up to up to three months without necessarily 
being really diagnosable. Like technically, according to the GSM, I think you can diagnose it after six weeks. But again, I need to double check that because I'm not looking at um, the particular guidelines right now. But I would say in my experience, um, I've seen it last up to three months. It also depends on when you get help. That's the other big thing. So if let's say you start with the baby blues and you didn't get any, you didn't get any extra support, you didn't, you weren't able to really process how you were feeling during that time period, you get to the three month mark, you're feeling the same or worse. Um, you may just still need that like booster, that little like boost of support to still be totally fine and not have it be long lasting. I've even had women who have approached me nine months postpartum, a year postpartum, where they just haven't had anybody to process these feelings with. And they've just been thinking they're crazy this whole time. It must be so hard now, on them. It's so hard. And and again, like women and birthing people are just so so incredible that we're we're supposed to be we feel like we need to be superheroes and do everything right. Mm -hmm. and that's not really the case because we are just people and we make mistakes and that's totally okay because it's all part of the learning experience. But when I see, when I talk to uh, clients who are further in their postpartum journey, their journey back to mental health and mental wellness is longer because they've had more time to really grow those deep roots uh, within you know, their mood disorders and it's harder to come back from that, but you can, you always can. Um, but that's why we try to focus on prevention because I believe if you know, and if you're educated, then you feel more in control going into the postpartum period. So you're less likely to plant those seeds, so to speak. I love that this always comes back to the postpartum planning. I'm really, that's kind of struck a new fire with me. I've always talked about planning postpartum with my students about make sure you have support, make sure you have, you know, lactation consultant available, you know, have your, your partner, if your partner know the signs of PMADS, but I'm kind of struck by the idea that again, we have the childbirth ed, but we, we don't really talk about what the landscape of parenthood can look like. I feel like it's two camps. You kind of alluded to this earlier. It's either the camp of everything's great. Look how happy and shiny and smiley I am. Or the other camp of everything sucks. Being a parent sucks. Like there's, (laughs) and there are kind of these two cartoons on the either end, but I don't feel like there's a realistic landscape planted of here are some of the normal ups and downs. Here's what physiologically you might be feeling. Here's what emotionally you might be feeling. I feel like we need to plant those seeds of reality check-ins. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly what we're trying to do. We're trying to partner with OBGYNs, hospitals, pediatricians, um, to help with the prevention piece, because I think that is really the key to changing the landscape of maternal mental health care in the United States. Yeah. Getting a real perspective of what this, and education, because I do think, you know, in social media, and I am definitely on social media probably more than I should be, but really plays Mm -hmm. up the, the two sides of shiny, happy people and miserable, sad parenthood sucks. And I feel like that then it's just an unrealistic 
expectation or, or portrayal of, of parenthood. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, you remind me of something, the, the two sides, uh, that you were mentioning, it's like when you are pregnant, you're not, you don't want to look at the like, Oh my God, it's so dark and depressing side. Right. So you try to focus on the like matchy, matchy, happy, happy posed like side. Cause you're like, I'm doing everything I need to do. I'm good. This is what I'm going to be. I'm going to channel this. Right. So you're not even focusing on the others on the, on the tougher side of parenthood. Um, and so I think because of that also, you may not know, or you may be really shocked by how emotionally trying the transition is. And on our social media, we really try to find that like happy Switzerlandy place. Mm-hmm. I just made Switzerland an effort, <laughs> but I'll take it. Um, but that's what we really try to do because, you know, postpartum is beautiful, but it is challenging and it's it is a messy, emotional. Beautiful. It's messy and beautiful. It is a hot mess. It yeah. is a hot mess, but there's so much to it. There's so much happening. There's so much growth and growth is messy. It really is. And oftentimes women feel like they've lost themselves, right? I'm sure you've heard that a lot. Mm-hmm. And the reality is you don't really lose yourself. You just have to find a way to integrate this kind of new role into who you already are. You're just now a, a deeper version of yourself, a more evolved version of yourself, mm-hmm. which is a really beautiful place to be if you let yourself be there. If you kind of, another um, analogy I really like to use or metaphor is when you're kind of caught in a riptide, and you're fighting really hard against it to try to get out because you're so scared mm-hmm. and you're so uncomfortable. But when you just allow yourself to ride that wave and you just, you know, then you suddenly come ashore and you're okay. Mm. And there's a peace in that. So it's like and embracing it's very, the messiness. Yes. Just kind of letting go of trying to control everything and embracing the chaos and messiness that is, you know, early postpartum and understanding that it's going to change. You know, people are like, how, how am I ever going to be okay? But the reality is, and I'm sure you've gone through this too, is that in the beginning, you don't understand how this is going to work. But after some time, you don't understand how you ever had life without, you know, your child or your children. Like you can't even imagine things being how they were before. You don't even necessarily miss that anymore. In the beginning you do, you know, just last week I was having a lovely brunch with my husband in like a nice restaurant. And now I'm like covered in poop and puke and breast milk. Right. Can I circle back to the messiness? Because living in New York city, I I work and I am definitely a type A personality. How would you advise people to embrace the messiness of postpartum? when they're used to control and order. Isn't that the question of the century? <laughs> All right. Truth. Yes. Okay. It's I get that. So, it's so true. Like, how do we do that? How do we do that? That is really, that is really, you know, what we all like want to know. Surf- because... I guess it's like your surfing analogy. You're riding the wave. You have to trust it's going to yeah. bring you ashore. But it's so scary to do that. It's terrifying. Yeah, because how if you're somebody because I'm also, you know, pretty type A, I'm not going to lie. 
Um, and for me to let go of control and just be is really hard. That's scary. That's like a free fall. Yeah. However, however, um, I think you find that the more you try to control, the more anxiety and, you know, suffocating, like your situation is so intense and, and challenging. It is. And even if letting go of control is, comes in phases, like you don't have to just like completely free fall. You, you know, I remember with my son to kind of talk a little bit about my personal experience. Um, when I first had him and I was so obsessed with like, nobody could touch him. You have to do this sanitizer, blah, blah, blah. I was like really ahead of my time with all the sanitizer (laughs) 10 years ago. Um, I came to a point where I realized that it was really doing me a disservice and I was like hurting people's feelings unintentionally. And I had to tell myself that I need to look at my baby because even at three months old, even at two months old, even as a newborn, when they are uncomfortable, they will let you know. So if my baby is being held by someone else, or if my baby, if somebody is changing my baby's diaper in a different way than I would do it, or feeding them in a little bit different way than I would do it, look to your baby to tell you how they feel about that situation. Because ultimately, isn't what you're trying to do is be the best parent that you can be, mm-hmm. right? You're just trying to do your best and keep your child comfortable and happy and taken care of. And your baby will tell you when they're not feeling that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're totally so true. Once I started looking at him, he was like a hot potato being passed around and I was freaking out inside. But then I was like, okay, I'm just going to look at him. And he was totally happy. Like, okay, then it must be okay. Because mm. that kind of takes it out of you. Right. Right. And because yeah. when it's in you, you're, you're not sure. So when it takes it out of you and you're able to kind of observe from a different perspective, it, it can really help mitigate your anxiety and kind of start to be like the first stepping stone of relinquishing that control. That's great advice. All right, we're going to take one more break. And when we come back, do you have one final tip or piece of advice you would like to offer new or expectant parents? We'll be right back. Okay. So we are back. So what is one final, you've already given some wonderful tips and advice. Is there one final tip or piece of advice that you are just burning to share? I would say that the biggest piece of advice I would, I would like to offer is remembering that as a new parent, you didn't just have a baby, but you were also born into this new role. Mm -hmm. And so just as you're giving your baby this space and this grace to learn how to flourish in this world, it's important that you do the same for yourself. I don't forget and take care of yourself because without you, they're, they're not going to be happy. Right. And thriving. Yeah. I actually had one of my friends, this is before I was even considering having kids. I was still in my my twenties and my friend was significantly older and she 
what I think she's 40 and she didn't have a baby shower. She had a mother birthing party. She's like, the baby's coming. She's like, but I have not prepared and I have to embrace my stepping into motherhood. She's like, mothers are born as babies are born. So it was her motherhood party. And it took me years later to appreciate. I'm like, yes, we don't, you know, baby doesn't come out and all of a sudden, you know, this understanding of parenthood is just instilled in us. Like we grow into the role as we experience it with our baby. So what you said just reminded me of giving ourselves the grace of recognizing that we're taking the the steps, the first steps along with our first, with our first children. So thank you for inspiring that memory. I hadn't thought about that in a while. Michael, that's so cool. A motherhood party, a mother birthing party. It was. That's amazing. I'm all about it. So where can people find your work? Um, So you can follow us on Instagram. I'm sure you can put the the names below, but it's at moms in bloom with a E at the end. Our website also has a ton of resources and it's just moms in bloom with an e.com. And if you, if you guys want to reach out to me directly, I'll give you my, my direct uh, email address. It's Dr. Jane at moms in bloom with an e.com. So feel free to reach out to me. If you guys have any follow-up questions, I could clearly talk about this all day, super passionate about this. And we're all in this together. We yeah. really are. We're all unique, but we are not alone. Yes, I 100% agree. And I really enjoy chatting with you. I'll make sure that all your contact information, your Instagram, your website is all in the show notes. So for those that want to reach Dr. Jane, just check the show notes and you'll be able to find her very easily. Thank you so much for your time and for this conversation. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It was my pleasure. This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.